child stars are healing their inner child, Taylor Swift's recent controversies, and Sydney Sweeney's influencer side hustle. We're Maggie and Jasmine, and you're listening to Culture Club, our weekly chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. We acknowledge that the Wandery Woiwurrung people are the traditional custodians of this land we are on today. We would like to pay our respects to Elders past and present. We would also like to celebrate the rich history of First Nations culture and storytelling that we are continually learning from. This proudly always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Happy Leo season, Jazz, and also happy birthday to Culture Club. We turned two over the last week. We turned two and we totally forgot about it until like the 30th. And I was like, oh my God, it was our two year anniversary. So happy birthday to us and to everyone listening because we wouldn't be doing this if people didn't listen and care. So that's, thanks for that's being hilarious. here. It's like having a birthday party and telling the guests, like, happy birthday to you too. That's literally what you said. (laughs) (laughs) But I appreciate it. Um, But, yes, it is the season of Leos. I didn't realise how many Leos I have in my life, but I have so many. Um, One of who, who is not technically in my life, but parasocially, yes, Selena Gomez turned 30 years old. Have you been watching the second season of Only Murders yet? I have. I think I'm about halfway through and I am really enjoying it. So yes, I'm glad that the second season is kind of still living up to its first season hype. Yeah, I'm a couple episodes behind, but I'm also loving it. But all of Selena's content from her 30th birthday was just so wholesome. She posted a TikTok the other day that genuinely made me tear up. She was speaking to the camera and just like thanking everyone for all of the um, heartfelt messages and stuff and she begins to tear up and she's like I wouldn't be here without you but we'll play a bit now okay, I don't really talk on TikTok so this is a bit weird I wanted to say thank you so much to every person that wished me a happy birthday um, I got to see some of your messages I don't read a lot of comments but the few that I read were really really sweet and I just want you to know that I don't take that for granted and um, I'm 30 (laughs) and um, I'm so far enjoying it and I just wanted to thank you all from the bottom of my heart um, for being in my life for growing up with me for putting up with me (laughs) Um, thank you guys so much and Yeah, I think she's really leaning into this kind of wholesome, earnest space, which I love. You know, that TikTok video starts with, you know, I don't normally talk on TikTok. Um, And over on Instagram to celebrate her birthday as well, she also had this really sweet caption. We'll read out some of it now. Though there are so many words to say, I'll simply leave it at this. My 20s were a journey through good, hard and beautiful moments that I will never forget. Each of them has shaped me into the person I am today. I am someone who is still learning, but is more certain about what matters and what she wants. Someone who is grateful for every single gift and every single lesson along the way. I want to try my best to take the beautiful and the painful one day at a time and let it all make me into the very best me that I can be for myself, others, and you. Oh, (laughs) sorry, that's a weird noise. (laughs) 
Mini moan. No, she is so sweet. I love how earnest she is and how grateful she is. And she just feels like your best friend. And that's so nice when we've grown up with these Disney stars and child stars who are just embracing themselves. And it must be so hard to grow up in the spotlight. So to see someone like living their authentic life is always very endearing, I think. Yeah, especially with Selena as well. We've seen her publicly struggle with her lupus and bipolar disorder diagnosis. And then we've also seen in recent years, you know, her coming back to acting. And of course, she's got her music and then Rare Beauty. Like what an incredibly successful beauty line as well. It actually, not going to lie, when I saw that it was her birthday, it freaked me out. I did not realize that she's only 30. She's so young and so close to our ages. Um, And especially growing up, watching her as a teenager, she felt like so much older and so much more mature. So I'm like, wow, (laughs) that's great. There's also been another child star who has been um, kind of creating these beautiful, authentic videos recently, and that is Drew Barrymore. I love her earnest content so much when she, like, (laughs) sees the window in this house she's renovating or she's singing and dancing in the rain. I feel like we need more people like that online. Like, people will say it's cringe, but I love seeing other people's joy so much, like, The world is so dark and, like, there's so many awful things happening every single day. But, like, to share, like, a beautiful moment or your day or whatever it is, like, that's so refreshing to see online, I think. Yeah, it's interesting to see the discourse around Drew Barrymore specifically change over time. So I swear when um, her first kind of videos started popping up of her being overly earnest people were like this is so cringe like what's happening blah blah blah. and then it just took a 180 and everyone's like how lovely is this I love her blah 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 so I'm like wow like we're so finicky with what we approve or don't approve so yeah with both Drew Barrymore and Selena Gomez they've both had like such tough times in the limelight Um, that we've seen so it's really nice for us to wrap our arms around them now and just embrace them for who they are and I hope that they feel loved and that they feel like more freedom and whatever love the celebrities (laughs) a cosmetic nurse has come under fire for her insensitive tiktok video outlining what she would do if she was Stranger Things actress Natalia Dyer's injector. How wild was this video? I saw it first on Twitter, um, accompanied with a caption, I could never be a celebrity because if someone made a video like this about me, I would get violent. Mm -hmm. Another tweet read, Still can't believe a plastic surgeon spoke on what she'd change about someone's face without A, their consent, B, any indication that the person disliked those features, and C, putting a disclaimer that the person is already beautiful as they are? Um, yeah, like I understand it's a ridiculous situation, but why can I kind of, like it didn't phase me too much because mm. like, it almost feels like a non-issue, like first off, especially in Culture Club, we all understand that it's problematic. But I feel like we've normalized plastic surgery and cosmetic, and cosmetic surgery so much, which isn't necessarily a bad thing at all, 
But the way that this plastic surgeon was talking about the changes, she was like, it was like she was talking about makeup and you know putting on makeup on someone like oh I'll just do the lips a little would lift her brows here like Mm. so nonchalant about it and I was like these are I don't know much about procedures yeah and I was like that was what was kind of weird to me her casualness Mm. about it yeah and about changing someone's face to be like this standard of beauty when Natalia is already like a stunning person and I think she has a really interesting face. It's not the Instagram face, which we will get into later. But this nurse posted a follow-up apology video captioned, hoping to clear the air that I was not suggesting that Natalia needed any of that work. It was just an example. Of course, Natalia is absolutely stunning the way she is. That's why she's so successful. Yeah, what? Okay. Not because of her amazing acting skills. Her photo was simply an example. I'm sorry if people took that as being mean or rude. That was not my intent at all. Oh, my favorite form of apology. Yeah. <laughs> sorry if you're offended. Yeah. Um, I think it's really telling as well. This is not just a one-off incident with this nurse. Um, people were just like finding her other TikTok videos. One of them was like um, her having a conversation with someone and the text on screen was like like when I when you can't concentrate on the conversation you're having with another person because you're counting how many shots of Botox they need in their forehead (laughs) oh my god that's awful yeah it is awful because Natalia like we don't even need to say it it's it's beside the point that she is so stunning and beautiful um and a good comment from a tiktok user said if natalia dyer a white and thin and conventional woman gets scrutinized on her appearance like this what happens to all the young impressionable poc mid-size plus size girls watching yeah very true i think it's like a dangerous territory to get into and even just like the normalization of like baby botox like before you're 25 and there's actually an interview on days magazine with the director of save face which is a uk register of accredited practitioners who provide non-surgical procedures who said that they thought the pandemic would put a stop to cosmetic treatments but they say it's actually been the opposite ashton says quote our patient inquiries and web traffic increased over 60 percent it came at a time when people couldn't access other beauty treatments, so insecurities became magnified. And, of course, the most popular are plastic surgery, lip fillers, and wrinkle prevention treatments, but there's been a noticeable shift in the general public's feelings towards them, which is, yeah, true. I feel like Botox wasn't spoken about as yeah. much back in the day, and now I know lots of young people who are getting it, lots of friends and, you know, when – there's barely any wrinkles and I know it's preventative whatever but I also need to fact check this but I also remember um hearing from a technician once who was like Botox yeah like hardens your muscles at first but then it can also weaken them so then it's like a perpetual cycle like once you get it you notice the drop more because it's really relaxing because the Botox is worn off so you're like oh god I need more and you like kind of become like addicted to it and you need like more to get the same results kind of thing but that's not Mm. fact-checked that's just like what I've heard yeah I mean I don't know how I feel about plastic surgery and cosmetic Mm. surgery I'm kind of I like that I'm like from a feminist point of view I'm just like that's always open to discussion and I yeah I honestly just 
don't have my mind made up but you're so right about the rise of um, surgery in general there was you know over the pandemic or over the um, first couple of years of it the zoom boom people were talking mm. about because people were spending so much time looking at themselves through a screen um, also people you know bringing in photos of themselves with filters on from like snapchat or instagram tiktok and being like i want to look like that it all leads to um you know what we've we've heard of instagram face um that was coined by gia tolentino uh I think it's just continuing to be like a staple in our culture. So I saw this great TikTok. I can't find it at all. But it talked about, um, you know, from this Natalia Dyer example, how celebrities are looking more and more similar um, to one another. So they first compared like golden age Hollywood stars like Marilyn Monroe um, and the plastic surgery style or trends that were around then a few decades um, previous. And then now, you know, they showed Kylie Jenner, Kim Kardashian, Bella Hadid, and how this beauty trend of surgery purposely is making people look so similar, like that snatched look. You know, seeing the side-by-side comparison photos, it was really quite eerie, I would say. Interestingly, in that same TikTok video, as well as a few news articles floating around, um, the said cosmetic nurse that we've been talking about who posted that initial video, um, there's before and after photos of her own face before she's had surgery. And really, yeah, interestingly, she had quite a similar face shape to Natalia. And I think it's not a defense mechanism or like an insecurity, but it's but it's quite obvious when you look at her before photo. It's it's like coming from a place of oh, this is what I did to myself to improve myself. Wow! So her face was more kind of like square shape or something. Yeah, that's quite sad that like she's kind of fixed, like you know, made her face look how she wants. But that insecurity is so deep that she's projecting it onto other people. Last week, Yahoo Life published an interview with Jojo Siwa where she talked about being a new member of the LGBTQIA plus community. We covered it when this first happened. She came out, was it through Twitter? Because <laughs> she was wearing a t-shirt that said, I'm gay, that was gifted to her by her cousin. In this interview, she said how honored she was to be thought of as Gen Z's, quote, gay icon. But controversy has arisen because Jojo spoke out about not liking the label lesbian. Jojo said, I don't like the word itself. It's just like a lot. But I mean, at the end of the day, that's what I am. It's like the word moist. It's just like, ugh. This has garnered quite a lot of commentary. One Twitter user wrote, Bestie, please, you have a big platform amongst younger people. Please don't say that. Another said, I'm so tired of influential WLW calling the word lesbian dirty. Yeah, and that last one was um, in reference to the musician Girl in Red saying that lesbian is her least favorite word in a 2020 interview with the South China Morning Post. And just a few days after that interview, you know, was causing a lot of headlines, Jojo posted a follow-up TikTok video. We'll actually play it in its entirety now. Okay, I've been going through my comments and I just want to make something super clear. I never said that lesbian was a dirty word and I never ever would say that it's a dirty word because it is not. 
It is not a bad word, it is not a slur, and it is especially not a word that I am ashamed of saying or ashamed of identifying as by any means. Now, if you look at the comment that this is commented under, if that makes sense, it says, I'm sorry that people are trying to cancel you for not liking the sound of a word. And that's exactly it. I don't hate the word lesbian. I just, whenever somebody talks to me about my sexuality, I just say that I'm gay. Not the word that flows off the tongue for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, so I think, you know, we have to remember she's 19 years old. I think she kind of handled the situation with maturity. I still don't vibe with the excuse that she just doesn't like the sound of the word. Um, but, you know, I definitely respect that she just wants to be called gay because that resonates with her. Um, yeah, I want her to identify as she does. But the thing about the sound and comparing it to moist is a bit random. Yeah, I think like... A lot of queer people growing up, those kind of feelings are probably dealt with like privately or internally or you'd say that to your friends like, oh, I just don't like the word when you're like in your first year of uni and that would never be make like make headlines. But like she has to go through this kind of coming out process as like this huge child star with millions of people following her. So, of course, like everything she says is going to get like turned into a headline and spoken about like we are now, she kind of has more weight on her shoulders, I guess, to be like a good role model. But she's still learning and maybe she'll feel differently in the future and like cringe at, you know, what she said now, like we all do, but we all didn't have to, you know, have our thoughts published on Yahoo Life. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like that's the main consensus of the Mm. internet. They're not necessarily blaming her because it does feel like internalized homophobia. Um, but should she be more careful with her word choices when it's being publicized? Like perhaps, like, yes. Um, but that's just kind of it. Like, that's how I feel too. Last week, we spoke about celebrities' carbon emissions from their private jets. And while we criticize Kylie Jenner, Drake and Mark Wahlberg, This latest revelation this week is personal. According to Yard, a sustainability marketing agency that prides itself on cutting-edge data and analysis, Taylor Swift has used her private jet 170 times between January 1 and July 29. So yes, we are back on our science maths bullshit here. Um, Yard found that Taylor's total flight emissions for the year total 8,240 tons, which is 1,185 times more than the average person's total annual emissions in total, not just flight emissions, which is big numbers, big numbers. Mm. Yeah, the internet has kind of taken that research and run with it. There have been some very funny memes, um, lots of criticism on TikTok of Taylor, lots of disappointed fans, which is definitely understandable. And I think, yeah, we do put Taylor on a very different pedestal to other celebrities just because she is, like, one of us. Like, we've grown up with her, etc. However, for all of the other Swifties out there, a representative for Taylor has come out and said to TMZ that, quote, Taylor's jet is loaned out regularly to other individuals. To attribute most or all of these trips to her is blatantly incorrect. 
How do we feel about this? I mean, like, yeah, that probably has to be true that she's loading it out to other people because she's not touring this year. How is she mm. racking up such massive numbers? But it's also like, is that does that lay you off the hook completely? Mm. Like why do people need to fly out on pl- private jets anyway? Um, like if she's loaning a jet, that means – and if she owns the jet, it, I guess it comes down to whether she owns the physical jet or not because like if she owns – you know, if you own a car. Because if she does and then people are renting that jet and she's making money off that jet, in my, in my opinion that's just as bad because like you know it's getting used – nearly every day you're earning money off that use when she's already a cajillionaire you're still kind of like complicit in this like whole private jet emissions scandal controversy i guess but if it's like a just a jet that she uses that's like in her name and she doesn't know where the jet's going what what it's doing who's on it then i think that's different I mean, even if there's no money involved, I still think she's got like an onus or responsibility if people are just borrowing mm. it off her. Um, it's interesting to see this kind of come out this week. Obviously, this flight time and emissions has been in the news because of Kylie Jenner. Um, but Taylor Swift is copying quite a lot of criticism for many a reason. Let's get into them right now. As well as the flight situation, Taylor has also garnered some criticism for her involvement in Where the Core Dads Sing, which is a new movie adaptation starring Daisy Edgar Jones, and it's been adapted from a book by Delia Owens. Taylor created Carolina, which is the lead song off the soundtrack. Neither Jazz or I have watched or read this, um, but we'll give a quick plot rundown. Where the Crawdads Sing, okay, let's just call, call it Crawdads from here on out because that is a tongue twister. Um, so Crawdads is about Kaya, a reclusive girl living in North Carolina who raises herself in almost complete isolation and, you know, loves animals and loves nature as opposed to people. Um, she's supposed to be really gentle. Um, she's had a history of domestic abuse by her father and the community around her is very judgmental so when a local football player is murdered Kaya is immediately suspected of committing the crime. So Delia has many similarities to the protagonist Kaya. Delia also grew up in Georgia and her and her husband Mark are conservationists who enjoy the company of animals but it goes deeper than that because as it turns out Delia and Mark are both wanted for questioning in connection to the murder of an unidentified victim. So in 1996, Delia and her husband were the subject of an ABC documentary, Deadly Game, the Mark and Delia Owen story, and it was about trying to save elephants from poachers in Zambia. But during filming, an alleged poacher's murder was actually captured on film. If you want to learn more, there's an Atlantic article that goes into much more detail but Zambian officials never press charges for the murder but they do want to question Delia as quote a possible witness co-conspirator and accessory to felony crimes. So according to People, uh, Chris Everson, who is one of the cameramen who worked on the documentary, he claims that Mark Owen's adult son from a previous marriage, Christopher, is responsible for the murder. 
But um, back in 2010, uh, Delia denied the accusation, um, claiming it was sensational. So um, again, mainly Swifties are the ones who are actually bringing up a lot of this controversy um, and bringing up all this problematic stuff associated with the film. Uh, Another point that they bring up is that the book and the film uh, have racist undertones or racist themes that are in um, the content. And you can actually see this in some of Delia and Mark's own like published work because they have been um, doing stuff for a while. So for instance, on the website of the Owens Foundation, Africa is referred to as the dark continent. Um, and the pair expressed a desire to live in an Eden-like Africa, quote, free of the complications created by the presence of humans. And in Secrets of the Savannah, they both issued a strong call for human population control in Africa. God, that's so awful. Yeah. Ooh, yuck. Okay, but I have something else, another bone to pick. Why do you think Taylor Swift is the one who's the main person, I would say, under fire for her involvement in the film? For instance, I haven't seen anything against Daisy Edgar Jones. Literally, yeah. I've seen so much like on TikTok about Taylor Swift being involved in this, but nothing directed to Daisy Edgar Jones apart from people criticizing that like it's so unrealistic what Daisy's character Kaya looks like in the movie. They're like (laughs) making fun of her, like blow drying her hair while she's like in the marsh or like doing her makeup routine, which is very funny. (laughs) But I think that Taylor is getting more criticism because of her white feminist past. Like she's already been criticized. Like remember like the Taylor Swift squad days and like, I don't know, she kind of always responds to worldly events after the fact rather than getting ahead and like, actually being like a person who stands up for you know women's rights or whatever it is it's kind of always like a month or two after the fact that she's kind of yeah like um makes a stand and kind of says her response to stuff I don't know if that's like a defense mechanism I can't imagine like the pressure of having to like put your personal opinion out there all the time I mean well we literally have a podcast doing just that but Obviously, on the world stage, it would be very different. So I think that's why Taylor is getting the most slack for this Where the Crawdads Sing stuff. Yeah, and she has used that white feminism label to her own advantage, for sure. She sold albums and tours off of that. Some of the other controversies that um, her fans have spoken up about recently uh, is that Taylor didn't speak up about Roe v. Wade until it was too late. Um, some fans are also um, upset about her role in this new film by David O. Russell called Amsterdam, um, following claims made by other actors about the director's like, abu- like borderline abusive behavior on set. And then really randomly, um, Taylor also thanked Dwayne Johnson for supporting her quote ethically sourced versions of her music and that kind of poor choice in words really Mm. really was like the final nail in the coffin yes it might be a small thing but I think one thing that's quite sad to watch um is all the disappointed Swifties who have really stood by her side and I'm seeing these like tweets and TikToks that are like any other Swifties just feeling a little bit confused Mm. and complicated 
you know, obviously she means so much to me. Her music's done so much, but now I just don't know where to sit with all this stuff coming out. Like it's actually really sad. It's not like angry trolls, you know, that are disappointed. It's like her her fans. But I think this is also like a good reminder of like people aren't perfect, right? Like no one is like a saint and we all have like mixed ethic, like, you know, like what you say about you try to buy ethically sourced fashion but then you eat at McDonald's or, like you know, things like that. I'm not like trying to compare. I'm not like trying to say like what Taylor's doing is right or her involvement in this movie is good but it's like in terms of like a parasocial celebrity relationship, yeah, it seems like sometimes we can – like when I heard the news I was disappointed but I wasn't like, oh, my God, how could she do this? Because it's like she's a rich white celebrity. Like she flies on a private jet. So, yeah, I think maybe like also detaching a little bit from uh, celebrities could help that. And I think it's not a bad thing for fans to keep their like celebrities in check or expect better of them. Um, Yes, we could kind of be like live your own life – do whatever obviously like words of somebody on tiktok aren't that influential but i don't think it's like a terrible thing like i'm glad people are speaking up about this especially with things like crawdad's film um i don't think i would have heard much about all the controversy surrounding it yes this has been like an ongoing situation for over a decade now about the suspected murder thingamajig um But because I think of uh, Taylor's involvement in the film, it's become um, way more widely known. There have been a lot of funny Twitter memes as well, as I mentioned at the start. One particularly funny one is streaming Taylor Swift to help her pay for her jet fuel. Everyone's favourite girl next door, Sydney Sweeney, has made headlines this week after an interview with The Hollywood Reporter. Sydney said, I want to have a family. I've always wanted to be a young mum, and I'm worried about how this industry puts stigmas on young women who have children and looks at them in a different light. But Sydney said that dream might not be possible on her current earnings. Quote, I'm worried that if I don't work, there is no money and no support for kids I would have. If I wanted to take a six-month break, I don't have income to cover that. I don't have someone supporting me. I don't have anyone I can turn to to pay my bills or call for help. Sydney also added, they don't pay actors like they used to. And with streamers, you no longer get residuals. So that would be like if you are on a rerun of a show um, on free to air, say like Friends, like every time that's aired on TV, you get a certain amount of money, um, but you don't get that with streaming basically. Yeah, and she also kind of went more behind the scenes about payment um, in the movie industry. She was saying that like established stars will get paid and then went on to kind of show us how she divvies up her earnings. So, for instance, she gives 5% to her lawyer, 10% to her agents, 3% or something like that to her business manager and she pays her publicist every month and she um, discloses that's more than her mortgage. Sydney also explained that because of this, she has no choice but to take up brand deals. So one we've recently seen, of course, is the Cotton On Body 
brand deal, which I was so shocked that an American is kind of the face of a, this Australian retailer like that started in Geelong, so random. But I am also am such a sucker for the, her branding. <laughs> okay, but wait, did you see that TikTok video which was kind of going around that path? It was like it was so random seeing Sydney Sweeney be the face of Condon Body. But then the more I thought about it, like she is an Australian girl. Like she was mm. in your geography class like her dad does own david jones like it was so funny i was like yes i see this she was house sports captain yes oh my god she definitely does give off australian vibes but is that because her name's sydney we're like yes australian. <laughs> yeah yeah she's also worked on campaigns with Miu Miu and laneige also a brand we love so sydney said quote if i just acted i wouldn't be able to afford my life in la i take deals because i have to And she says that she doesn't want people to feel bad for her, but rather to be aware of the realities of the business. She even noted that she can't afford to purchase a gate to keep the paparazzi and fans out. Quote, I couldn't believe I was even able to buy a house. I want to be able to stay there. End quote. So what got me about this was it seems very much like um, lifestyle creep, in my opinion. Because in 2021, she bought a house in LA for 4.3 million Australian dollars, but she has an estimated net worth of 4 million American dollars and reportedly earned $350,000 for season two of Euphoria. And that was reported by Life and Style magazine. And world celebs claimed the star took home 25 grand per episode for season one of Euphoria. So she is earning money. Like I understand publicists cost money, like PR costs money, et cetera, et cetera. But then, Bestie, why did you buy a $4.3 million house? Why don't you just buy a $500,000? You know, I don't know what situations like in LA, but like a one, even a $1 million house, you'd have $3 million left over. Like why did she buy a mansion? It's like a stunning mansion as well. We'll link it in the show notes. It's like was built in the 20s. It's like huge, huge backyard, big bedrooms, big bathrooms. Like why did she buy that house if she's then like, oh, I can't afford to take time off or – like how I don't know how I'm gonna have kids yeah um and yeah just to backtrack as well so you refer to lifestyle creep previously which is the phenomenon of seeing like when your pay increases or when you have more money your spending increases mm. as well um and it's right I mean it's hard because you're you're so right about that like she's obviously got money but now she's in this different like caliber of celeb and she has to or she feels potentially like she has to keep up with that Mm. um you can't just she's not a regular old gal anymore she is I would say like a globally known um and love celebrity so it's hard to kind of I don't know I I I was I was less skeptical about all this I was like oh this sucks because in the interview she also discloses that she like came from a hard financial background quote we lived in one room my mum and I shared a bed and my dad and little brother shared a couch Uh, she said referring to when her family ended up living in a motel Um, and then she also kind of linked that to her like parents marriage breakdown as well yeah, what's very sad about this interview, she says she tried to mend it through earning money and they were kind of like in LA for her career. And she said, I thought that if I made money, I'd be able to buy my parents' house back and then I'd be able to put my parents back together. But when I turned 18, I only had $800 to my name. My parents went back together and there was nothing I could do to help. Also, I think it is refreshing 
to hear stars talk about money in this way and break down the costs. And also because she's not a nepotism baby, it's like showing the realities of the industry when you're not a nepotism baby. Like so much of Hollywood is just like, you know, child stars of like famous parents, etc. And this is someone who like genuinely didn't come from money. And now she's like dealing in real time with what happens when you have this massive lifestyle change and like you're suddenly earning thousands and thousands of dollars and like financial education. Like if you don't have the education of like, well, you shouldn't buy a $4 million house if your net worth is $4 million, um, things like that. I think that's important. But I also feel it's a bit tone deaf to be complaining about salary during a recession and pandemic, like saying she can't afford to take six months off. Like, yeah, same with most of the population. Like that's not mm. that. It's not like, oh, my God, I can't take six months off. Like most of the population can't do that. Um, mm. So I don't know. I'm in two minds about it. But I'm more on the fence of like I think it is refreshing to hear a really wealthy and famous celebrity talk about money. I think as well um, what this really shows is that like capitalism really just doesn't work for anybody then, right? This is someone at the top of their game, such a rising star in Hollywood, obviously still earning like a lot of money from what we've seen, but still has to or still feels the need to work multiple jobs, Mm. doesn't feel secure. Like that is such a systemic issue. Like isn't it a bit like – well, if well, if Sydney can't survive off one job, like how can the rest of us? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's quite daunting and overwhelming hearing this. I'm obviously glad that she talked about it, but it's like, wow, it's all really messed up. Yeah, like even people who are super super famous still have to obviously like still have to worry about money, um, and go through potential like financial hardship or financial trauma um yeah it's like the system isn't working that she can't just work one one job I also think this is an example of headlines and media twisting words because a lot of it has been very sensationalized like what caught my attention I was like oh my god why is she complaining because like headlines from the new york post slash news.com.au say euphoria star sydney sweeney barely earns enough to survive but she didn't say that. She was just kind of breaking down the realities of being an emerging star, the fact that she pays her publicist more than her mortgage. Um, she never said she, like, is starving. Um, so I feel like that's also been a bit sensationalist. So, yeah, I think this is a very interesting and different celebrity story than what we normally see. I don't remember many examples mm. of other celebrities explaining lifestyle creep or feeling overwhelmed by money it's always just like yeah I'm earning a fuck ton of money (laughs) here's what I bought kind of thing and we also have to remember like she's not this poor currently like single mom from a low socioeconomic background who has to work night jobs and night shifts um in hospitality she is doing high editorial campaign shoots you know it's not it's not the same Maggie, what have you been watching, reading, listening to, experiencing this week that you want to share? Experiencing is a good word here because yesterday I did see a musical that I would love to recommend to all of you. It is called Six. Um, 
and it was so much fun. So Six the Musical is about the six wives of Henry VIII. I didn't know too much about the musical before going in. Um, the, the poster and like the promotional material around it sees like six really badass women in like sparkly fun outfits um but basically all I knew was oh it's like this historical story that's reimagined as a modern day rock concert incredible (laughs) um but six and musical wasn't cited here it's pretty big globally it's won two tony awards um and I loved watching this on stage like I said it's really fun um it's female-led and it's also really smart It mixes historical storytelling with comedy and sass. I just found it, I'm going to stop using the word fun, but that's literally the feeling that you went. It felt like you were at a concert, number one. It was also empowering. It was a bit interactive. The saddest part was that it was only like 75 minutes, no interval. So it, I wish it was longer because it was great. Um, and it is like the vibe of Fangirls, a musical, which we've talked about extensively on this podcast. And it really just makes me so excited for this new era of musical theatre that's more experimental, that's um, really spearheaded by women. And it sees like our experiences or the way we talk on stage. Um, it's more inclusive, I would say. And it was really cute. The audience, there were some like super fans, like, behind us who like knew all the words and just really got into it so I would highly recommend this musical in Melbourne it's um, playing till about the end of August and it's heading up to a few other places as well love that I saw them perform at like the Queen's Jubilee it was like my grandma was watching it on tv and they performed like a snippet um with all these other musicals and I had no idea what it was about and I was like are they meant to be Henry VIII's wives? <laughs> I was like, there's something going on there. Um, I But I found from just the ads, the songs are really catchy. Yes. And annoying. <laughs> <laughs> like I've just from the ads, I've gotten the song stuck in my head, but maybe when you see it in context, it's like less annoying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this was the first time I heard the music. Okay. So that was fun. That was fun seeing it on stage. How much were tickets roughly? Oh, they were pretty expensive, I would say, for like a short musical. I think um, we paid one ticket like 75 and the other ticket was like 100 so about mm-hmm. that $85 mark. Mm-hmm. And piggybacking off your recommendation as well, when I was going over to Hobart a few months ago, I listened to a podcast, The Short History Of, which I've recommended before, mm. but it was The Short History Of Henry VIII. And it goes for an hour and it's, like, so fascinating about all his wives and the way he treated them and just, like, how awful their lives were, basically. But it's really interesting if you want more um, history on Henry VIII himself. But, yeah, I'm going to see Hairspray the Musical in, like, a week or two. So on our musical grind. <laughs> <laughs> I love me a musical. Love a musical, honestly. And it's time for your recommendation of the week. What have you listened to, read, or watched that you've loved? I am recommending this memoir by food writer and my friend Jess Ho. So it is called Raised by Wolves and it is Jess's debut book and it's a gut-punching look at the Melbourne food scene, Jess's own family history, and what it's like being an Asian woman in a male-dominated space. So I'm going to read you the blurb so you can get a better idea. It says, Growing up confronting racism in the outer suburbs of Melbourne, Ho's family's traditional Cantonese cooking was both a comfort and a source of shame. 
As the Australian restaurant scene boomed, they embarked on a career in food writing at a time when the once embarrassing foods of immigrant childhoods were quickly becoming commodified trends. In their new memoir, Raised by Wolves, Ho weaves a coming-of-age story into an exploration of the industry they love, revealing the truths, both ugly and inspiring, behind Australia's fine dining obsession. Obviously, I'm biased because I know them. So at the end of their book, they reference a wine bar that they owned and I worked in their cafe next to the wine bar. So we got to know each other quite well. Um, but aside from that, it is such a an easy read. I read it in two sittings and you do get such an interesting perspective on the Melbourne food scene in particular, especially because we're quite known for it in the city and you kind of see over the course of I think it's about 10 to 15 years how it evolved and how it changed like pre-social media, post-social media but then you also have this personal, deeply personal story of Jess's family life and like the reckoning of being an Asian person in Australia. It criticises Australian food culture and how Jess themselves got caught up in it. So Jess was actually kind enough to record some of their own words so here they are. I knew from the remedial Mandarin that I half understood that our waiter wasn't related to the family who owned the restaurant. I knew she was one of the thousands of kids whose parents spent their life savings to send her to Melbourne to study law, engineering, or whatever, and she was completely separated from her support network. I knew she was underpaid, and this was the only job she could get because of her name, work history, and language skills. I watched her being spoken to like she had a learning disability, even though she understood fluent English. The importance of a glass of wine and a plate of dumplings was being stressed to her in a tone I was all too familiar with. She nodded submissively because it was the role she was paid to play and walked away. This was the cost of her parents' hope and her education. There had been occasions where people would speak to me in the same manner, assuming by looking at me that I didn't speak English. I'd been asked if the restaurant name was inspired by my name and how long I had lived in the country. I was spoken at in half mime, half shout, and I knew that I would never grow out of it. The industry teaches us that French cooking and French wines are superior, how to set a European-style table, the differences between a la carte and prefix, but it overlooks the skill involved in tempering spices, nixtamalizing corn, fermenting cabbages, or folding soup-filled dumplings. We are brainwashed into thinking that a shoe-infused whiskey will win a global cocktail competition, and restaurants that can't afford a wine program don't deserve our respect. We have all fallen for the same lie, and we have all made ourselves intolerable. I watched these well-honed palates celebrating the ability to drink their expensive wines with cheap Chinese food, as if they'd just tricked the owners who simply didn't know any better. I realised I didn't want to climb the ladder anymore. The top looked like a tone-deaf place to be. I am definitely going to borrow that off you. I'm itching to read that. So thank you for recommending that. And thank you, Jess, for reading some of your words for us. So that is all we have time for today. But we hope you enjoyed this episode. And you can find us on Instagram at Culture Club Pod. Uh, otherwise, we will chat with you next week. Bye. Bye.